Now, if you have your cell phone, I know you uh, uh, often people look at the Bible uh, when I call the Bible passage. At least that's what they tell me uh, when I'm preaching. But put your cell phones down for just a second. And uh, so no looking at your cell phone. And I want you to raise your hand if you can answer this question. And the question is, do you know the Bible reference, the chapter, the, the book, the chapter, and the verse for the shortest Bible verse in the Bible? Raise your hand if you know the book, chapter, and verse for the shortest Bible verse in the Bible. Raise your hand. Be loud. Be proud. All right, Ed Shue says he knows it. Everybody got quiet. Ed, can you, can you shout it out for us? <laughs> Ed thought we were voting to get out of church early. I don't know. Do you know that Bible verse, Ed? The shortest verse in the Bible? All right, you're close. John chapter 11, verse number 35. Oh, everybody knows what it says. They just don't know where it's at. John 11, 35, and I quote, say it with me if you know it, Jesus wept. Now, the significance of that is today, as we're working our way through the Gospel of John, looking at a picture of Jesus from each chapter, now today we're on chapter 11 of, of John, and the context is this. Jesus has been moved with compassion because his friend Lazarus has died. Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus, are grieving and they're crying and, and others around are grieved and upset as well. In fact, in, in John eleven thirty six, 36, the Jews said, see how he loved him when they saw Jesus. Jesus wept, the others were weeping, and they pointed out about Jesus. Look at how much Jesus loved his friend. And then right after this, after Jesus wept and the people were grieving, Jesus then proceeded to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. Wouldn't you like to have a friend like Jesus who can raise you from the dead? Starting in verse 38, we find these words of John 11. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been there four days. He's been dead four days. I love the King James renderance of this. Lord, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> now that's dead, amen? That's dead. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. That's great words, isn't it? Verse 44. The man who had died came out. Think about that. The man who had died four days ago, who stinketh, he came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Wow. What a great story. Only God 
can raise the dead. And Jesus is God. And this demonstrates and foreshadows that one day soon when Jesus would be put on the cross and crucified and would die and be buried on the third day, God would what? Raise him from the dead. And doesn't this give great hope to you and I to know that when we put our faith and our trust and our confidence in Jesus, that one day we, even though we may die physically, will be raised to have eternal life. That's a great message. I can conclude right now. That's just a great message. But we're going to look back today at verses 17 to 27 because earlier in this chapter, the same storyline is going on and Jesus taught that through faith in Him, the dead will be raised to eternal life. And so with that, I want you to stand with me as we honor the Word of God as we read it today. John chapter 11. I'm going to start reading at verse number 17. This is a little bit before He raises Lazarus from the... Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, If you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I want you to read with me verses 25, 26, and 27. You'll see the words there on the screen. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And our Heavenly Father today, for those of us who are believers, we have put our faith and our trust in you. May these words be sweet reminders and sweet encouragements to us that no matter what we face in this life, even up to and including death, that we have a great hope of the resurrection of the dead through Jesus Christ our Lord. And for anyone here today who's never come to that place of trusting Jesus Christ, of believing in you, May today be the day of salvation. May something that has already been sung or said, something that has been prayed, the word that has been read, and the word now that we speak in the message, may something that is done be stirred by your spirit to bring faith and salvation and belief to anyone here today that does not have that great hope of life after death in eternity with God forever. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So there are seven times in the Gospel of John where Jesus, in identifying himself, uses the phrase, I am. I am this, I am that. Today in John 11, Jesus says, I am 
the resurrection, and the life. This is the fifth of those seven sayings. And it is accompanied with a teaching, and then a miraculous sign of proof, and then an application. And that's what we're going to look at today as we work our way through this passage of Scripture. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I want you to say that with me. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so this passage today is going to reveal to us some great truths about Jesus, life after death, and the importance of the word belief. The importance of the word belief. Starting at chapter 10 and verse 42, the last verse of the chapter uh, there in chapter 10 that carries over into chapter 11, we see that that, that verse plus uh, all of chapter 11, there are 10 references to belief. There are 10 references to the importance of belief in that passage of Scripture that we're looking at today. So on top of, uh, over and above, everything else that is said, the word belief, that we might believe that we might have eternal life is, is a key focus of this passage of Scripture. So, so let's notice some of these truths that we find here. The first truth I want you to notice is in verse 4 and again in verse 40, and that is it's all about the glory of God. It's all about the glory of God. But at the very beginning of this story, in verse number 4, it, it, Jesus says to his, his followers, the disciples, when reported that, that Lazarus is sick and, and knowing that he's going to die, Jesus says this in advance. He says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. There, there's a lot of great teaching right here in this one verse, and I, we could camp out here for a long time, but I want to point out a couple of things that are vitally important here. You see the words on the screen there, this illness does not lead to death, but notice the next phrase, it is for the glory of God. Here's a man, Lazarus, who was ill and who died. Why did this happen? It happened for the glory of God. This lets us know here in this passage and many other passages that oftentimes the circumstances that we find ourselves in, sometimes there are wonderful celebrations of good things, sometimes there are difficult circumstances of terrible and tragic things, of sickness, illness, death, in Haiti, political unrest, anything that, that you might can look at that, that might be looked at as, as negative, as a crisis, as, as, a, as, as, a, as a terrible trauma for somebody to go through, and certainly it is all those things, but somehow, some way, we know that God being God orchestrates events for His glory. That's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. It's a hard pill to swallow when I lose my job. How is Jesus glorified in this? It's a hard pill to swallow when a relationship I'm in with a friend or, or a spouse or with a child or with a parent suddenly goes haywire. How is God glorified in that? When, when somebody who I love is close to me, a, a parent, a child, a spouse, when they die, how is this to the glory of God? I can't explain in every single circumstance, but I do know that at the foundation of it all, it is all for the glory of God. The entire purpose of this story in John 11, the entire purpose of what we read about anywhere in the scriptures, the entire purpose of, of the miracles that Jesus gave, the entire uh, uh, purpose of the application that he gives, all of the meaning of life and all of scriptures is that Jesus be glorified. Now you have your 
bulletin in your hand, no doubt. Hold it up, wave it, be proud of it. Your bulletin is in your hand. At the top of the order of service, every single Sunday, you will see there our mission statement as Ridgecrest Baptist Church. It's got that arrow that goes up, uh, signifying the glory of God, and the arrow that goes out, signifying that we want to lead people to follow Christ. And then you see our mission. Read that, that bottom part with me. To glorify God by leading people to follow Jesus. That's why we're here. When we read passages like John chapter 11, we're reaffirmed that our mission statement is correct. Our mission statement is that what we do is for the glory of God. That's all we exist for. That's what it's all about, that Jesus may be glorified. Don't you notice the second truth that we find here, verses 8 to 10, and that is that the time for ministry is limited. I'm pulling some, some truths out of here. We're going to get to the big one here in a minute. But we need to understand the time for ministry is a limited time. Jesus is responding to the disciples here when they're going to, to Bethany to see Lazarus. And he says, starting in verse 8, the disciples said to Jesus, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. They're, they're out to get you. The, the Pharisees are, they, they've, they, they've got you in their sights. They want you dead. And then they say, and so are you going back there again? Jesus says in verse 9, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. We just talked about Jesus being the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Let me tell you a couple things about ministry. Jesus was in the world to accomplish the purpose and plan and will of God the Father, which included going to the cross to die for the sins of all humanity. And Jesus is saying, my time here is limited. I've got to go while I can. I've got to work while it's daytime. We can't work when it's nighttime. We have to take advantage of every opportunity. Jesus said that about himself, and it certainly is true for us. We've got to take advantage of every opportunity. Let me tell you some things about being involved in ministry, not just as a pastor, but as a Christian. Uh, Rodney can talk to you about being a deacon, Rodney uh, Strickland can tell you sometimes it's, it's a little messy in there. Others that are here, you serve as a connect group leader. You work with our kids in Awana. You, you work with our teenagers. Last night, our teenagers went to the sportsplex in Hillsboro to go ice skating. They had about 15 kids, Austin said, that he had never seen before. And there were about 60 kids there all together. Any of you love ice skating and want to go referee 60 kids on ice not knowing what they're doing? You know what you find out in youth ministry? It's messy. Not just on the ice, it's messy. Because they bring their stuff. They bring, can I just can I use the word junk in church? Is that okay? They bring their junk with them to church. And the only difference between the youth bringing their junk with them to church and us coming to church is we hide our junk a little better than they do. We all bring our junk to church. And that's a good thing. And as we get involved, as, as your pastor, when I get involved in circumstances, as our deacons get involved in circumstances, as our connect group leaders get involved in circumstances, over and over again, we make the discovery. We reaffirm. It is messy. It is inconvenient. It is timely. Uh, it, it, it is costly of our resources and our time. But, but there are limited opportunities to accomplish what it is that God has put us on this earth for. And, and I continually tell our guys, we have got to be mindful and timely to meet people where they are and take the gospel to them in their circumstances. And the messier it is, the greater the opportunity. Our time is limited. 
A third truth that we see here in verses 25 to 27, that is that the gospel is prominent. We have to always remember that the gospel is the focus of all that we do. Leading people to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior has got to be the focus of every single thing that we do. His death, His burial, His resurrection in our place for our sins that we might be saved. Listen to the words of Jesus starting in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. The word gospel literally means in English good news. It is the good news that Jesus in his death, as tragic as his death was, it was good news in that he died the death that we all deserve for our sins. That when he was buried, he was buried, and our sins were buried with him. And when he was raised from the dead, it is our great hope of life after death that we also might be raised. What evidence do we have that this is going to happen? Well, while Jesus was on earth, he raised Lazarus, he raised another girl, and he raised a, a guy, a young man, in his own funeral procession. Jesus demonstrated he is God by raising the dead, and then he himself was raised from the dead. And that is my hope that I will be raised from the dead. And that is your hope. And we must never forget that it is all about the gospel, all about Jesus. Jesus was saying to Martha, I will die for sin. I will be resurrected from the dead. I will give life to everyone who will believe. There's nobody who is outside the call and the reach of the gospel. Because to all who come, there will be life. The fourth truth that we see is that Jesus cares for people. One of, the, the, one of the, the greatest conversations I have with people in the midst of their struggles and difficulties is to be able to say to them, Jesus cares about you. Well, if Jesus cares, where is he? Where is he when they walked in and fired me from my job? Where is he when the doctor came in with the bad report? Where is he when this happened and that happened? If he cares, where is he? And those are great questions, and there's no, no, no problem to ask that question, but then you come back to seek to understand from the Scripture and from the Spirit, why do these things happen? They happen for the glory of God, even if it costs us our very life. But in the midst of it all, we need to understand that Jesus cares for people. Verse 33, it says that Jesus at the death of Lazarus, knowing who Jesus was, knowing what he was about to do, and knowing the outcome, knowing that in just a few moments he was going to call Lazarus out of the grave and Lazarus was going to come bouncing out there with his grave clothes on. He knew that was about to happen, and even so, he was still moved and greatly troubled. Verse 33, because his heart goes out to those who are hurting. Verse 35, he wept. We know it's the shortest verse in the Bible. But what a power-packed two words. Jesus wept because Jesus cares. Verse 38, again, it says he was deeply moved by the circumstances. Reminds me that all through the Bible we see glimpses, we see clear teachings, we see, we see uh, the, the clarity of the fact that God cares for us. Let me just share with you very briefly from Psalm 103, all the way back in the Old Testament. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, 
All the benefits of, for, for those who know and love God, for those that walk with God. Here are some benefits. He forgives. He heals. He redeems. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good. And in verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Would somebody say amen this morning? That's who our God is. He cares for people. He cared for Lazarus. He cared for Mary. He cared for Martha. He cares for me. He cares for you. And he cares for everybody who is out there wallowing around in sin and darkness apart from him. He cares for them. And listen, if Jesus cares for them, shouldn't we care for them? If Jesus cares for us, shouldn't we care for each other? And if Jesus cares for me, shouldn't I care for you? We should. He cares for people. And the fifth truth I want us to look at, spend a little bit of time if we can, that is that belief is essential. Belief. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead to demonstrate his glory that all people might believe. Belief is essential. It's not enough just to go to church. It's not enough to put a dollar in the offering plate. It's not enough to carry your Bible. Those things are important and have their place. But at the core of it all is the word belief. In fact, more than any other book in the New Testament, the Gospel of John uses the word believe. More than 10 times in the end of chapter 10 all the way through chapter 11, we see the word believe. We'll get to this in a couple of weeks, but all the way to the end of the Gospel of John, when, when John is saying, this is why I wrote all these things about Jesus. This is why all the things in the Gospel of John are there. Chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, John wrote and said, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written. These things that we read about in the Gospel of John, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Why do we have the Bible? So that we might believe. Why did Jesus come into the world? So that we might believe. Why do we teach the Bible to people so that they might believe? Why do we remind people that believe about what the Bible says about believing? So that we might keep on believing. So that the very core of all that we are and all that we do and all that we know and all that we, we worship and the way that we interact with people uh, in, our, in our jobs, in our homes, on our sports teams, in our community, at the restaurant, at the grocery store, so that when we interact with, with everybody, with those that are just like us in the way they talk, in the way they look, in the way they dress, and those that look nothing like us because they're not from around here and have an accent and, and, and their skin is different than ours, no matter who they are, they're all created in the image of God, that we might be able to, to lead them to believe the gospel. The end of chapter 10, verses 41 and 42, the people were saying, everything John said about this man was true. As they had seen 
Jesus in action is they had heard the words of Jesus and seen the miracles of Jesus. The end of verse 42 of chapter 10 of John, and many believed in him there. What did they do? They what? They, they believed. That's the key word, believe. I want you to notice some, some, some key things about believing. One is, notice that our belief is often short-sighted. <laughs> we, we believe, but we're so, we're so short-sighted in our belief. We will believe God up to a certain point, and then we kind of take it back. You ever done that before? God, I believe, and I'm trusting you, but I'm going to pick up my belief and take it out of here with me. I'm going to trust you for a new job, but then I'm going to go out and I'm going to fret about it. I'm going to complain. I'm going to think I'm never going to have a new job. I'm going to, I'm going to believe, God, that in this circumstance, you're going to be with me, but then I'm going to take my belief and I'm going to go home. The, 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 the same things that we do are the same things that people did in the Gospel of John. And it happened there with Mary and Martha and the other folks as well. They, they believed that Jesus could have kept Lazarus from dying, but they did not believe that he could raise Lazarus from the dead. Their belief stopped when Lazarus died. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. There in, in verse number 15, Jesus said, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. It's Jesus talking to his disciples. He got the report, Lazarus is, is sick. Jesus says to his disciples, he's, Lazarus is sleeping. They said, oh, he's going to get better. And Jesus said, no, 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 you don't understand. Lazarus has died. And for your sake, Jesus says to, the, to his followers, the disciples, for your sake, I'm glad that I was not where Lazarus is, so that what? So that you may do what? Believe. Because right now you're not believing. Right now your belief is about as far as you can reach outside your body. That's as far as you believe. You, you've heard that, that, that saying before? I trust you about as far as I can throw you. You ever heard that before? Now for some of us, that's not very far. And that's the disciples' attitude towards you. We trust you, Jesus, about as far as we can throw you. And so Jesus said to them in verse 15, I'm glad I wasn't there when he died so that the result of what's about to happen is that you will believe. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Is that belief? Yes, it is. But it's short-sighted belief. Her, her, the, the belief she had in Jesus ended when her brother died. And likewise, Mary, in verse 32, the, Mary, uh, the, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, Mary said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Short-sighted faith. Short-sighted belief. Lord, I believe you up until something bad happens and I stop believing. Verse 37, the people said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? They were, they, were, they were believing, but they were also doubting. He, he made this blind man see, but he couldn't keep Lazarus from dying. So, so we, can, we can only trust Jesus up to a certain point. But Jesus allows certain things to happen in our lives so that when he does something in response to the tragedy that we're in, that we might believe. Notice a Notice also that belief brings life after death. After death. Our faith doesn't end when life on this earth ends. Our faith carries over into uh, life after death. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, 
yet shall he live. You see, Martha, you've got some short-sighted belief. And, and, and if I could say to many of us in this room, we have a short-sighted belief. It only goes so far, and then our belief just drops to the ground. Jesus said, when you believe in me, even when you die, you're going to live. Why, what, what's the point here? And that is that physical death is not the end. Isn't that good news? Physical death is not the end. I, I was sharing that, that since the first of the year, I've conducted five funerals already in the year 2019. That's on pace. If it keeps going, it's on pace to, 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 to be the most I've ever had in one year. Five in two months. But aren't you glad that physical life is not all there is? And that death is not the end? Although we can't see it, the Bible makes it clear that death is the doorway into eternal life and life after death. And in fact, I want you to notice this too. The life after death is eternal life. It's not that the life after death is another physical life which will end, and then there's another physical life, and that will end, and another physical life, on and on and on, like reincarnation. It's not reincarnation. It is eternal life. Jesus had said, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Verse 26, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Never die. There's not death again after this physical death that we endure. There is eternal life with God in heaven. For the believer, eternal life is a reality. Psalm 23, 6 speaks about that. You know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, the very last verse, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, or literally pursue me. Goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. And then, after my life on this earth is over, when I physically die, then I will live in the house of the Lord. For how long? For 20 years? No. For 30 years? No. For three generations? No. For what? Forever. Isn't that good news? Forever. John 5, 24. Earlier in John, Jesus had said, whoever hears my word and does what? Believes on him who sent me. There's that word belief again. Whoever hears and believes has eternal life. Also, I want you to notice something else about eternal life or about belief. That is eternal life requires belief. You cannot have eternal life without believing. The most important question in life. Think about that. What are, what are the most important questions in life? You first meet somebody and you ask them, what do you do? What do you do for a living? That's not the most important question in life. For many of us, on a daily basis, it seems like the most important question in life is, what's for supper? Can I get a witness to that? Amen? What's for supper? If you live in this area, another important question of life is this. Who you pull for? That says a lot, doesn't it? Another question that's so important, but it's not the most important question in life, is this. Will you marry me? Isn't that a great question? But it's not the most important question. The most important question in all of life is found in verse 26 of John chapter 11, when Jesus said to Martha, Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I've said it. I've done it. Do you believe it? The focus on the word belief. Jesus said, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? If yes, then the belief is set. And if you believe, then you have forgiveness of sin and the hope that when this life is over, there's eternal life to come. And even in the most tragic, difficult circumstances of this life now, he is with me for his glory. That's what we learn in John chapter 11. But the answer is no. I don't believe. And the question is this, will you believe? If you have doubts, you've had questions, you've had struggles with the whole issue of being a Christian and believing, will you believe? What questions do you have? Take them to God. He, God's big enough. He can handle any question you've got. Will you believe? Then the answer becomes, no, I won't. I'm choosing not to believe. I'm choosing to reject this message and just understand that according to the Bible, then judgment and separation rest upon your soul. But belief is open. I also want you to notice this is so important, that belief is specific. It's not just that you believe God exists. It's not just that you believe Jesus was a good guy. No, his belief has to be extremely specific. She said to him, verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Not just you're a prophet or a teacher or a good man. There are many religions. You look up any religion in the world and then look at what do they believe about Jesus. They will often shine a very positive light on Jesus. He was a great teacher. He was a prophet. He was a moral example. He was this. He was that. But they will not say that he is the Son of God, that he is God in human form. They will say he is not that. And they are wrong. It's not just that you believe in Jesus but the content of your belief. Notice she said, you are the Christ. You are God's anointed king. That's, who the Christ, that's what Christ means. You are the son of God. You are God in human form. In the Old Testament, he's going to be Emmanuel, God with us. In the New Testament, Yeshua or Jesus, which means Jehovah, God, is salvation. That's who Jesus is. You're the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. You're the one whom the Old Testament prophets told us was coming. They told us where you would be born. They told us when you'd be born. They told us that, that you'd be the, the, the suffering servant who would bear the penalty for all of our sins. They told us you would die on a cross. They told us you'd be buried. They told us you'd be raised on the third day. I believe all these things about Jesus because that's what the Bible says throughout the Old Testament. We see Jesus in the lamb of the offering, the sin offering, every morning and every evening at the temple. That was Jesus. We see Jesus, as I mentioned a few chapters ago in John chapter 3, we see Jesus represented as the servant on the pole that when people would look to him, they would be healed physically in numbers, but when we look to him uh, spiritually, we will be saved. That's who I believe that Jesus is. In the New Testament, we see it all throughout the Gospels, and we see it all throughout the letters, and we see it all throughout the book of Revelation. In the future, we know that he is coming back one day. And that we'll be with him forever. I also want you to notice this, that belief, our belief, reveals the glory of God. Just before Jesus raised Lazarus, he said, verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believed, 
you would see the glory of God. If you believe, you'll see the glory of God. So, so, so we believe, and then we see the glory of God. We believe in Jesus, and we see the glory of God in the fact that he changes our life from the inside out. And then we see another person's life who Jesus has changed, and we say, wow, would you look what he did to her? Would you look what he's done in his life? Would you look at what he's done in my life? If he can do this, he can do anything. That's how we see the glory of God in the day and time in which we live. And also notice this, that belief is the purpose of revealing the glory of God. Why was Jesus glorified? So that we might believe. All the way back in verse number 4, Jesus said that this is for the glory, that God might be glorified. And we see it again here that, that, that our belief is the reason that Jesus was revealed and that his glory came. Three things real quickly as I wind up this message. The first is this, Jesus prays so that people will believe. Jesus prays in order that you and I might believe. Part of his prayer before he raised Lazarus, verse 42, he's praying to God. And Jesus says to God in his prayer, I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. That they might what? That they might believe. So Jesus is praying that we might believe. Secondly, notice this, Jesus is at work so that people will believe. He's working then and he's working now so that we will believe. Verse 45, many of the Jews who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, they believed in him. They believed in him because they saw. They believed in him because they heard. They believed in him because the Spirit worked in their lives and it was draw they were drawn to him. They believed. And Jesus worked then just like he works now so that you and I might believe and that you and I might gather these other people. They're not named in the Bible. It's all so-and-so from work and it's, it's what's your name down the street and it's who's his face down here on my ball team. The names aren't important, but that, that, that they came and they believed when they saw what Jesus was doing. Then thirdly, notice this. Jesus works through us so that people will believe. He works through us. There's somebody somewhere this week that God wants to use you to impact for the glory of Jesus that they might believe. That's scary, isn't it? How could God ever use me? How, how, how could God ever use me to, to impact somebody else? He will. He can. He does. You've got to be cooperating, though. You've got to be willing. Notice in verse 48, after all this is happening, the Pharisees catch wind of the fact that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. You would think the Pharisees would say, man, we need to go back and rethink Jesus because if he can raise somebody from the dead, then he really might be the Messiah. But no, the Jews said, we got to kill this guy. <laughs> verse 48, they, one of the Pharisees said, if we let him go on like this, if we don't step in, and all these people are believing. If we don't step in, they said there in verse number 48, everybody's going to believe in him. And good for them, they stepped in. But in their stepping in, it accomplished God's will so that we can stand here today and say that we believe. And Jesus wants to use us so that everybody will believe. Because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead to reveal his glory so that everyone would believe in him. Don't skip over and get past the fact that this is a chapter not about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. This is a chapter about the fact that 
Jesus reveals his glory that we might believe. It does no good to have the story without the application. The teaching is Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The miracle is he raised Lazarus from the dead. And the application is this, whoever believes is saved. So the question at the end of the message is the same question that Jesus asked Martha. That I'll ask to you sitting over here. I'll ask to you sitting here in the center. And I'll ask to you sitting over here. And I'll ask to those that gather out in the gym in just a few minutes. Do you believe this? Not are you here, not do you look good, not did you put your nicest clothes on today, not did you bring your Bible with you, not did you put anything in the offering plate, not did you sing the song, not did you smile at your neighbor, not did you stay awake at the, at the message. No, do you believe? Do you believe? Not just a belief, yeah, I believe God's out there, but a belief that changes your life and brings the resurrection power by which Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and the resurrection power by which God raised Jesus from the dead, the resurrection power that is available to all of us who believe. Do you believe that? And have you made Jesus your Lord and your Savior? That's the question. That's the question. Let me ask you to stand with me, if you will. Next Sunday, in both of our worship services, we'll be celebrating baptism. Those who are professing their belief in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Each Sunday, we gather together in our Sunday School Connect groups in our worship services that we might celebrate and participate in the fact that we believe. Every single day, we have the opportunity to live out our belief and to share it before other people. And one day, this belief will become a reality as the glory of Jesus will enter the world as has never been seen before and His glory will be revealed. One day... Why not today? Why not today? I don't know if it's going to be today. But if it were, I want to be ready. Don't you? Would you bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment? Our Heavenly Father, I pray that today the reality of the glory of Jesus would be the reality of our belief and that in our belief we would act accordingly towards you, towards others, towards ourself. Thank you for making it so clear and so repetitive that we will have not only no excuse, but every opportunity. Lord, even now, for those of us who are followers of Christ, may our faith be renewed and it be prioritized in our life accordingly. For anyone here today that's not a believer, what better time than right now? What better opportunity than right now simply to say, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you are the Son of God who came into the world. I believe that you are the one who died in my place and for my sins. I believe, Jesus, that you were buried and on the third day were raised again. And I receive you as my Savior. I believe in the gospel. Forgive me of my sins and give me eternal life and walk with me every day. Thank you, Jesus, that all who believe are saved. As we pray in your name, amen. As Bill leads us, as we sing our last song, I'm going to be available here at the front. If, if you somehow, someway would like somebody to talk with you or pray with you, even during the song, I'll be available. And after the service, you can find some of our deacons and connect group leaders will be hanging around and available uh, for you. But don't leave this place without making every effort to be right with God. 
in your faith and your belief.